the next time you go on a hike through the woods, download a bunch of Tannis. I'm I've got the Tannis wiki tab open <laughs> right now, and I'm like, maybe I'm gonna be getting into this one next. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and uh, it's Labor Day weekend. We're all enjoying a nice Monday off today. Joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host. Martha Sullivan, also enjoying her day off. Today I am a a baker and guinea pig wrangler, is how I will be spending today. Uh, This afternoon I'm going to be a brewer, so... Nice. What are you making? Yeah. Uh, pumpkin beer with a couple friends. Yes. Uh, it does mean that I'm not making challah, because I only have time in my day to make one complicated bread product. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, you know, shout out to the unions for getting us a, a good day off. Uh, shout out to America for celebrating labor uh, in September instead of on May Day, like the rest of the world does, because we don't want to be associated with those scary socialists. Uh, and we needed a holiday at the beginning of the school year. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, today we are going to be talking about media that that plays in the realm of alternate reality games. Don't worry, we're going to be sort of doing a deep dive on what those are, both in real life and in fictional life. Uh, we've got two interesting homeworks for you, uh, but before we get into talking about any of that, it's only fair to share what is stuck in our head. That's whatever piece of pop culture we want to be telling you about. Uh, so Martha, what is stuck in your head? Uh, so what is stuck in my head is a game is a video game that I have not actually started playing yet, but I finally purchased because it was on sale on the Switch the other day. And I've been thinking about it ever since I saw the game designer tweeting about the port to Switch um, several months ago. So I'm very excited to get into it. It is called Mundon, and it is a first-person puzzle game where you uh, play as a man called Curtin who returns to their grandfather's village uh, for their grandfather's funeral. Uh, you find out that your grandfather was, died in a barn fire, um, but very quickly start to realize that things are not as they seem. Uh, and as you progress through the game and solve different puzzles, you start to... Um, the the world of the game gets sort of progressively creepier and creepier. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Mundon I... is M U N D A U N. Correct. Cool. Yes. So it just came out on Switch, which, as everybody knows, is my favorite way to play video games right now. Uh, and I am really looking forward to digging into it. The visual style is very like creepy, old timey photographs, pencil sketches, kind of black and white. Mm. Um, and yeah, you're in like a Swiss Alps kind of situation walking up a mountain. So a lot of, uh, a lot of weird stuff in the woods kind of deal. Um, yeah, looking, I'm looking forward to, to cracking into this one and, uh, inevitably looking up, um, solutions on how to solve puzzles that frustrate me. Uh, I, I remember playing Myst as a kid back before the, that was an option, uh, and somehow we got through the whole game, and I can't for the life of me imagine how, how I did that, because now, any puzzle game, I'm just like, two minutes in, alright, how do you solve this puzzle? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, you tell me how to do this. Um... <clears throat> Well, what is stuck in my head is Michael Lewis's new book, uh, The Premonition, A Pandemic Story. Uh, this book is sort of... Uh, Michael Lewis is a author that we've talked about on the show plenty of times before. He uh, wrote Moneyball. He wrote um, uh, The Big Short, a uh, number of other books that we've talked about, either them or their movie adaptations. Um and his most recent book, The Premonition, is about how the United States and specifically sort of like the CDC handled... COVID in the first couple months of the outbreak. Obviously, this is, uh, you know, hot off the presses, as it were. Uh, The book was published in May uh, of this year, so it only goes up for the first couple months of the pandemic response. Uh, But it is deeply um, indictive. That's not a word. Uh, It indicts the CDC pretty seriously in their handling of the early stages of the pandemic Um, and, and sort of indicts 
many institutions in general for the way they handle it. Uh, in classic Michael Lewis mode, it's the book is sort of lensed through a handful of characters who have been deeply interviewed and reported on and are sort of made the main characters, um, most of whom either at the time were working in uh, government at various levels, California Public Health Office, um, or had worked in government before, specifically on, say, like the uh, the Bush and then the Obama um, pandemic response team. Um, so these are are very clever, intelligent people with a good read of the situation and sort of the the hurdles that they are running into as COVID first begins to appear uh, in Wuhan back in December and January, and then from there begins to spread. Um, I I thought it was incredibly interesting. I would highly recommend it. I would also say if consuming content about how we botched the initial uh, COVID outbreak is not something you want to be consuming right now, you know, don't read it then. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I feel like like I, I get stuck in... I get kind of stuck with that because, like, on the one hand, I think the CDC did... I think the, the amount of of information and how frequently like I okay words are hard mm -hmm. I feel like that because of the immensity of what I'm sure the CDC understood we were about to be dealing with they were trying to get the current information out as fast as possible but because we understood so little about COVID at the beginning they were basically learning and distributing information in real time. So when that information started to conflict, instead of understanding that diseases are complex situations and we were all like learning what we were dealing with, people just decided, oh, I can't trust anything you say because you're telling me something different every week. Mm -hmm. uh, part, part of his indictment, uh, uh, I'm going to paraphrase a line from the book that absolutely stuck with me. Um, uh, one of the people interviewed and, and quoted said basically, like, it shouldn't be called the Center for Disease Control because it's actually, as an organization and an institution, it's really bad at handling disease control. Um, like, when, when the shooting starts, when the pandemic breaks out, the CDC actually isn't that good at addressing it. It's phenomenal at researching and understanding and, like, coming up with guidelines during, quote-unquote, like, peacetime, right? Like, it is a, a phenomenal research institution and a bad on-the-ground actor um, for a lot of institutional reasons uh, mm -hmm. that, like, that would have been coming into play regardless of the specifics of this disease. Um, and that's, that's, that was, like, that was a very interesting framing for it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, cool. Well, that is what uh, we have stuck in our heads we're going to take a real quick break, and when we come back, we're going to start talking about alternative reality games. Or are we already talking about them right now? Stick around and <laughs> Stick around and we'll find out. And we are back. Uh, so for the past 10 minutes, you have been playing a little game called Listening to Did You Do Your Homework, a pop culture podcast. And we are going to continue that game right now as we begin our discussion of alternative reality games. Uh, we're looking at the 1997 movie The Game, directed by David Fincher, and the uh, 2017 podcast season uh called Rabbits. Uh, there's a new season out now on Stitcher Premium of Rabbits, but we just were looking at the uh, first season that dropped in 2017. Before we get into either of those, Martha, you've been doing a lot of research into ARGs, or ARGs, as I promised I would uh, misidentify them as. Um, so why don't we just start with, like, what is an alternative reality game? Sure. So an alternate reality game is basically a game that plays with the idea of what of this is fictional and what of it is real 
Um, one of the kind of vocabulary words that goes along with these is uh, TNIAG. This is not a game. Um, because the whole deal with ARGs is fuzzing the boundary between gameplay and reality. So mm-hmm. they are games that use uh, multimedia presentation. Um, there's typically a combination of things that happen like on the internet uh, versus in the real world. Um, they typically include like puzzles to solve, information to gather, and the more information that you collect or the more puzzles that you solve, the more information that you get which could build a story or could not. Um, it's, it's kind of a wide range of what the goals of these different games are. Um, but really at the most simple, which is a wild way to uh, <laughs> um, kind of distill a very complex entity, uh, alternate reality games are games that happen in the real games that happen in the real world right you're 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 not on like you might be on your computer to do research but you will have to physically go to the bookstore and find the physical book with the note written in it in order to progress as a random frequently yeah yes there are also versions and this is kind of where it becomes like is this actually an arg um because there are also things that i would call more of like a multimedia storytelling experience where Mm -hmm. like you watch youtube videos or read a twitter thread and like something is presented to you as being real and you kind of discover what's happening as it goes but like it's not real right right so um so the the definition can get a little bit fuzzy. Um I looked up some examples of um like very well-known. I feel like the most well-known example of this is the Isle of Bees ARG which came out as part of a um promotional endeavor for Halo 2. Mm-hmm. Um and it started as so they this one is really interesting because Bungie took a multi-pronged approach to getting people involved in it. Like they targeted um, people on the internet who were like well-known ARG players or like video game personalities or kind of like, kind of like when um, properties do like influencer marketing mm-hmm. and will send you like a thing. But so they before sent the word a bunch influencer of, existed. Right. So they sent a bunch of people like jars of honey that had a URL attached to them. Um, You also, if you watched the trailer for the game, there was a URL kind of embedded in the trailer that people Mm. discovered. And the the URL was ilovebees.com. And if you went to it, it looked like a beekeeping website that had been hacked in some way. So there were like code fragments and um, different numbers and things that you could kind of dig out from the URL that led you to... um, different like map coordinates or like it, it it all kind of spun out from there um and as you solved the different puzzles that you found you um could be directed one of my favorite pieces of this is that some players were guided to payphones that would ring at a certain time hmm. and like a pre-recorded message would play for you if you answered it at the right time, which I thought was like really intense. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so these puzzles start to spin out. Like they would make phone calls to your cell phones. They would send you emails. They like, there was this definite mixing of how you were receiving clues and like the, uh, the way that the game was giving you information. And it all kind of culminated in players being guided to a theater where they got to play uh, Halo 2 before its release and get a commemorative DVD as their prize. So that is kind of, I think, I think the most famous version of an ARG. There was one um, that was, oh dear, what was it called? Uh, Um, Are you talking about the Lost tie-in? Yeah, Yeah. they did one, they did a promotional one for Lost. Find 815. Yeah. As far as, so as far as I can tell, the first iteration of what we kind of recognize as being an ARG is something called Ong's Hat. Ong is O-N-G apostrophe S. And Ong's Hat is a real town in New Jersey. Um, But in the late 80s, early 90s, um, 
materials started appearing on that very, very early version of the internet, kind of spinning the story about Ong's hat um, and a an experiment, experimenting with physics and perhaps a uh, opening portals to other dimensions. <laughs> black, black hole tech gone wrong. Exactly. And, um, you know, information was released kind of in a very controlled way online, like on message boards. Um, and people glommed onto this as like a, like this big mystery that they were solving. So, um, what we see and what we'll, we'll get into in rabbits, the sort of like collective of people, um, collecting information, sharing it on message boards, developing conspiracy theories, all of that was happening with Ong's hat. Um, until in the early two thousands, the people who had created these materials wholesale and were releasing them as like, I wouldn't call it a hoax. I don't think the intention was ever for people to take it this seriously. Mm -hmm. um, it just like got a little out of hand. Yeah, like it was more like somebody was trying to build an urban myth and then it got out of hand because people on the internet will, you know, believe anything. You don't say. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's see if I can find the name of one of the game creators. Um, but basically, like people were starting to track these things to the the programmers and the game designers who were writing it and creating it, and then like camping out on their lawn demanding answers. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the early two thousands, um, I truly oh Joseph Math Joseph Matheny uh, was one of the the game designers. Um, and in early 2000s, he, like, tried to pull everything, like, released a statement and was basically like, please leave me alone. It's not real. Which is exactly um, how, like, conspiracy-minded like, people would be like, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as I can tell, that is, like, the first version of, like, the first iteration of what we kind of understand as an ARG. Um, Nine Inch Nails released one to coincide with their Year Zero project. Um, it was, which was real, like I feel like they, it was a really hot marketing thing in the mid aughts. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm I'm curious before we get into our two homeworks, like a lot of the examples we're talking about are tie-ins to, so, like are are literally marketing schemes. Um, well, and then there's something like the game called Cicada Thirty Three Oh One which has no ties to anything has released three puzzles over the last let's see when did the first one show up um 2012 the most recent one appeared in 2014 and no one has solved it yet hmm and like the first Cicada 3301 puzzle just showed up with a message that says, sorry, my computer's being slow. I can't get to it. Where is it? Uh, hello, we are looking for highly intelligent individuals. To find them, we have devised a test. There's a message hidden in this image. Find it, and it will lead you on the road to finding us. We look forward to meeting the few that will make it all the way through. Good luck. Hmm. Yeah. So far, no one knows who is producing these. <laughs> um, well, and, and, you know, who knows? Maybe people have solved them. And by doing that, they've advanced to the next stage and, and you know, don't tell anyone. Possible. Yeah, here's the here's the paragraph um, in the article that I was reading about this. Uh, within that message, there was not only a clue to the next step, but also decoys using older, well-known ciphering methods. It was designed to stump and spiral anyone who took a crack, and plenty of people did. In order to solve the first puzzle, it required knowledge of everything from Victorian occults to classical music. There was even a clue only accessible by traveling to Hawaii. It hmm. was, in essence, a very nerdy scavenger hunt across the globe and deep into the dark net. For every few eager participants was another naysayer convinced that whoever was behind Cicada 3301 was clearly up to no good. Nearly nine years since its first puzzle was released, we're still unsure what Cicada 3301 is, who they are, what they stand for, and what the real purpose is behind their clues. 
So not every ARG exists as a marketing tool, but I think the most famous ones do. Right. Um, probably because eventually they have ends. Like there is a purpose to them. So they can't just exist out in the ether indefinitely if the marketing departments actually want their stuff to be like <laughs> right. utilized. And also like the point of marketing is to push like a product in front of people. So like you can gin up a lot of buzz through your ARG, which is the whole point where something like Cicada 3301 seems much more like anyone wants to take a crack at a can. But honestly, if no one is talking about this, we don't care. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas like, yeah, the marketing departments would be fired if no one was talking about, uh, you know, Bungie's uh, ARG. <laughs> right. Well, let's let's get into our two our two homeworks then. Um, a lot of what you were just describing with Cicada 3301 reminds me of what we were hearing about in Rabbits, but we're going to start with 1997's The Game, because that is basically pre-internet. Obviously, we know 97, there's early internet, but the, the structure and the format is very much pre-internet. Um, and uh, we can sort of build from there into what ARGs have become. Uh, so the game, a uh, 1997 film directed by David Fincher, starring Michael Douglas and Sean Penn. Um, this was a David Fincher movie I had never seen before, and which I literally had never heard of until uh, Martha suggested it. Um, Michael Douglas is a wealthy investment banker who, for his, uh, he's, you know, estranged from everyone in his life, uh, lives for his money, etc. Um, on his birthday, his brother who clearly has had a rocky life himself uh, played by sean penn gives him a gift to a, a voucher to use the services of a company called consumer recreation services crs um and from there the game begins uh CRE goes to the crs offices they do a battery of psychological and physical tests and then tell him yeah you're not uh you know you're not a a candidate uh we we can't be working with you goodbye uh, and then the phone calls start, the attacks, uh, you know, by men with guns start, femme fatales show up, there's poisoning and drugging, and it looks like they're all trying to get his money. Um, he's thrown into this topsy-turvy world where he can trust no one and has no idea what's real and what's part of the game. Or even if there is a game, maybe it's all just some massive scam to scam him out of his wealth. Uh, and spoilers for you should have done your homework, so whatever. Turns out at the end, it was, in fact, all a game. Uh, and he emerges from this harrowing experience, a changed and better person. <laughs> um, Martha, what was your... You you had seen this movie, you had suggested it. Um, how did you feel about it, watching it this most recent time? I really like this movie. Um, I, I had the same kind of uh, reaction that I saw the first time that I saw it, which was... Why would anybody do this ever? <laughs> um, but no, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I I again I I think the central questions are sort of why is this a fun thing for Michael Douglas to be doing and how like also it's it's a little bit like something like scrooged mm -hmm. where except that he voluntarily does it well, like it's quasi voluntary right because like he agrees to do this crs thing but doesn't really know what they do and then has no way you know like there's no safe word right so it's <laughs> right. it's it's voluntary up to a point and then isn't um I will tell you, so the movie as it is, is about a 7 out of 10 for me. Mm -hmm. I think what would have made it a 10 out of 10 is if we'd gotten some kind of tag at the end that was like, he's still playing. Like, he thinks it's over, but mm. actually this is just his life now. <laughs> I I think that would have been a really fun, like, stinger, but I also think it would have, like, completely undermined what fincher was trying to do um fincher said about the film it's quote about the loss of control the purpose is to take your greatest fear put it this close to your face and say there you're still alive it's all right um and in a way that ethos is really similar to what he's doing in fight club of like like they're both movies about how men have to go through like harrowing crucibles and through that and and overcoming these serious challenges they come out you know purified redeemed and better 
Obviously, what that looks like in the two movies is wildly different, um, but it's still that sort of idea of, like, personal growth through overwhelming adversity uh, mm-hmm. and, like, stripping stripping you down to nothing and then building up from there. Um, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's valid. I just, like I said, I am always, always kind of looking for the, like, let's keep it weird angle and... I think it would have been kind of mind-blowing if at the end it's like Michael Douglas thinks that he has come out of the end and like... Right. But also, once you're here, you're here forever. He, he, he gets that coffee date with uh with Christine slash Claire, and then it turns out, uh, you know, at the airport, there's a terrorist attack. <laughs> or, or yeah, whatever. Or just like something. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But also, I, t- I definitely get that for Fincher. That also seems a little pure for a Fincher, um, like, thief. Well, I, I should say, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing in the idea of, like, you have to go through a crucible. He's talking more about, like, the loss of control. Um, and how, like... But, it's... like, the loss of control and facing, like, facing your limitations, how that makes, can make you a better person. That that makes you a better person is my read on it, not Fincher's oh, read Oh, okay. It. Yeah, he's, he's just talking about, like... Take fate, take your greatest fear, put it this close to your face, and say, you're still alive, it's all right. Like, that That was his quote. It Yeah, which is interesting, because one of the things that I was wondering as I watched it is, like, what would they have done if Michael Sheen had, not Michael Sheen, Michael Douglas had died? Right, right. There, there are so there many are chances. Yeah. <laughs> Right. There are a lot of points in here. But I mean it's it's a movie, so I, I gotta say, I really liked at the end the twi I guess it's a twist of like he has a gun and they're all like, Oh, oh wait, 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 we did not know about that gun. Do not shoot that gun. Um yeah. and then of course they did know about the gun. Um yeah. and because I, they know about everything. Right. And like when that was happening, I was like, they totally know about the gun. But also, oh my god, what if they don't know about the like I was getting in my own head about how all-encompassing CRS was. Um, Mm. And that, like, that was nice, where if you're genre-savvy, you can be like, they know about the gun, but if you're, like, if you've entered the headspace of the movie, then it's, you know, like, you're you're just in a constant spiral of, like, of course they do, but do they? But of course, but could they? Uh, Like, all the way down. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I will say, not to, and I might cut this, not to throw her under the bus, but I was watching this with Marin, and... She did not like it, uh, but more importantly, she was on her phone for the first, like, three quarters of the movie, just, like, scrolling through internet. And when she finally put the phone down, she's like, I have no idea what's going on. It's like, yeah, well, no. no kidding. It's a topsy-turvy movie, <laughs> and yes. you weren't paying attention. <laughs> uh, but, like, it's just that, that, like, they control everything, and, like, it's a twist. It's a reverse twist. It's a double twist. She was like, this is too much for me. <laughs> Which I... I just sort of was watching it from the perspective of like, none of this is real. Right. Right. Um, but also I, I, I did kind of like it better on the second viewing because I knew what was, I, I wasn't waiting to see what would happen. So I could just like watch it. Mm, This happens mm -hmm. to me frequently. I don't know if this is common or not, but I will, I sometimes enjoy things better on the second watch once I just know how it all plays out so I don't have to spend the whole movie being anxious about how it all plays out. Sure, sure, sure. And this one, it was definitely like, I knew that everything ended, like, wrapped up. It ends with a party. Right, so I could just kind of enjoy it as I was watching it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say it is an amazing, like, came out in 97, I'm going to call that mid-90s. It is an amazing mid-90s period piece. Uh, everything about it is, like, so dialed into that particular time and, like, and and concerns, I think, in a way that, that I really appreciated watching. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, here with 25 years removed from it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, should we should we jump over to Rabbits? Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, Rabbits was a 2017 uh, released. Er, the first season of Rabbits came out in 2017. There's a second season that is currently airing. Um, it is a podcast that documents uh, Carly Parker and her search for her friend Yumiko, who went missing. Um, 
and as as Carly investigates Yumiko's disappearance, she starts to discover that Yumiko was involved in this kind of time-spanning ARG called Rabbits. Um, and then the podcast itself is about both Carly investigating Yumiko's disappearance, but also finding that in order to find her, she has to play this game. Uh, Rabbits itself is an ARG that, according to the timeline of the show, has been around possibly since the 1950s, possibly f- since the beginning of linear time. The, the way they phrase it is, <laughs> is the current incarnation of Rabbits has been around since the 50s. But, right. but the implication is that there were, there were earlier, older versions uh, that we know almost nothing about. Right. So, um, and it is a game that starts at a mystery point. It, it starts and then people kind of get clued into it and play it until somebody wins. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of it is that it's very mysterious. Like you don't really know. You can kind of fall into playing accidentally if you start seeing the signposts for the games and following the clues and just kind of get wrapped up in it. And then at a certain point, someone is declared the winner and what you get for winning is very mysterious. And the the podcast itself is an investigative podcast dedicated to like unraveling all of these mysteries. Um, there is also a book that was released very recently called Rabbits that is about another iteration of the game that I read and enjoyed very, very much. Hmm. Um, if you if you like the podcast, you like the book, <laughs> basically. Um, but what what Carly eventually kind of comes to understand is that Rabbits as a game is actually about ironing out the universe's inconsistencies that it it becomes this like bigger it is more than a game it is how the universe stays on track basically it's how you keep the sacred timeline from getting all tangled up yeah pretty much um so you will see it's you know she talks a lot about the the clues of the universe being these or the clues of the game being these inconsistencies so like you'll see a painting that you understood the version of the painting to have two windows in a farmhouse, but the version that you see, which is just as real as the one you remember as having three windows. So little like glitches in the matrix. It's fixing the mandala effects. Yes, exactly. Uh, So I listened to this for the second time, so I know how I feel about it, but Pete, (laughs) what are your thoughts about rabbits? Uh, Well, I I mainlined this. It was very addictive, uh, including a uh, listening to a good chunk in the middle as I was going on a three hour hike in the woods. And if you want to really get that like hair on the back of your neck tingle, uh, listen to a creepy pasta mystery horror podcast uh, while you're walking alone through the woods. Um, (laughs) I... I liked it overall. Like I, I thought it was, I thought it was well produced. I like the pacing. I like the the concept behind it. I also thought there were, I think, with a lot of things like this, the ending, te- like, it's it's the J.J. Abrams issue of like, give me all these puzzle boxes. They're really cool, but then the answer is never actually going to be um, satisfying. And I thought that the last couple episodes of this one, I was getting a little more like. It's about fixing the sacred timeline. Are you kidding me? Okay. Um, like, that that part got me a little... I was losing steam there. Um, sure. And then, like, with any of these things, you you think back on it, and you're like, that doesn't make sense. Like, early on, uh, like, Yumiko finds out about this and gets, like, absolutely... Addi- like, in a very Ring-style thing, gets, like, addicted to some video where, like, she's just watching it for, like, eight hours. Like, you know, eight days in a row, not eating, not going to the bathroom, nothing. Um... And then that never actually comes up again in any meaningful way. And, like, everything about that is just, like, it was a weird thing that happened to her, so it's the focus of episode two. And then she disappears, and then we don't really focus on that again. We don't go into how a video like that could have had that effect on her. Um, So there's a lot of things that you just, like, when you're rolling with it in the moment, it's engrossing and enrapturing. But then, like, as I'm now thinking about it and talking about it for this, I'm like, that didn't 
like in the grand scheme of things that didn't connect and also doesn't make sense uh but as you're just listening to it like it just carries you along and and uh you know it's 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 riveting in the moment my response to that would be i think this is the kind of thing that actually benefits from more material like i listening to season two um kind of directly confronts a lot of the criticisms I had of season one, because I felt Hmm. the same way. Like I felt like particularly the last episode, I was like, Oh, this was spinning out in a really interesting way. And I'm actually less interested in it now that I know it's this like kind of mystic cosmic thing. Yeah. I don't need mystic cosmic thing. And then also like, there's no way you can end it other than, Oh, the authorities say it's a bad trip and I was kidnapped and drugged. But was I? Uh, and like, yeah, that's that's how it should end, obviously. But it's still but, a little disappointing. And, and without spoiling anything, season two starts with the question of how much was Carly lying in season one? Oh, interesting. Is is season two narrated by Carly or is it a new no, person? Okay. It's a new narrator. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so I actually think that a lot of the kind of complaints that I had, and normally I'm not into this, like I think that seasons or episodes or movie installments in in series should be able to stand alone. But in this particular case, it was definitely like, oh, this is recontextualizing the material I've already listened to in a really interesting way. Mm -hmm. Right. And I didn't even think about like, because it's so many layers of the of the mystery anyway, that's a really good twist to be like, there's an additional layer, which is the narrator herself might be unreliable. Yeah. Yeah. How trustworthy is Carly as a narrator? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, the, like, uh, like as it kept going along, there were various points where I'm like, I, this might be me reacting hard against like Star Wars fandom. This will make sense in a second. Uh, but I'm increasingly less interested in like chosen one narratives. So when it started to seem like Carly and uh, Concernicus Jones were like predestined to be involved in this based on some medical experiments that their parents went through, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, that's an interesting concept, but I just hate that idea so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, not hate, but like, I I am increasingly less enthused by those sorts of ideas. And then I feel like that either went by the wayside or was just less important in the last few episodes, um, especially once we learn who Concernicus Jones is. Um, and so... Yeah, like, like, there were moments where, like I said, overall, really enjoyed it. Had, like, Ready Player One vibes at various points. Like, we have to, we're obsessed with old video games. Um, but luckily, without all the um, annoying features that come along with Ready Player One. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, in in the moment, it was a fun ride. I'll probably listen to their their sister show, Tannis. Uh, once, once season two here becomes available, I'll probably listen to that, um, for sure. Uh and and it yeah, feels the, bad to criticize like ten hours of audio content for that I got for free, like by by nitpicking it, but also it's a game about nitpicking everything in reality. So exactly, like the whole the whole deal with these shows, and I think that you will you will find this as you progress more into all of the public radio alliance kind of course of products, um, is that they are predicated on finding the one that one detail and like niggling it until the tooth falls out right right like i i listen to all of their stuff i really enjoy all of their stuff there are definitely like they are not flawless pieces of media (laughs) sure right Um, i do think i mean we're not i'm not going to spend too much time on it although i do wonder if all of their stuff could in some way kind of fall under the ARG umbrella because they are fictionalized documentary podcasts. Like they are presented to you as true. I mean, they're presented to you as true, but you like, you know that they're fiction. Right. Um, But because of this, there are whole subreddits that have grown up around like conspiracy theories and, um, there is a, a publication that pops up in Tannis called the Malacetic Atlas. I think they're, I think that they're going to be publishing a version of that hmm. at some point. So they, they've kind of like, they haven't started in a way that is interactive. And I think that interaction is kind of a key to an ARG. 
but the longer they they exist the more supplementary materials kind of spring up around them um and, so and- I, I don't I don't know that I would call them, I don't know that I would call the PRA like an ARG company, but I think that they're definitely like kissing cousins there. Yeah, and so much of ARGs too is the like, the red herrings, you know, or like I should say the way that that Rabbits is presented in the podcast Rabbits, like the way the game is presented is that there are intentionally a ton of red herrings and dead ends because only the the most dedicated, most successful clue solvers yada yada can can keep progressing so i kind of like the idea of a a meta story of the podcast company of them being an arg where even like the the elements of their storytelling that don't add up don't make sense because it was just like a little sloppy storytelling now become like red herrings false clues you know like thing things to guide you off the path i was just talking about like the video that yumiko was obsessed with I'm like, that doesn't really make sense, all the rest of it. But someone could spend hours trying to figure that one out, even though it's not connected to anything. Uh, and that, that works in the broader metafiction of ARGs in general. Mm-hmm. So my big main question... So, all right, so first, full disclosure, I brought this topic to the table because I was reading Rabbits, the book, and I wanted to talk about it. Um. But my kind of big picture question here is what is it about ARGs that we as a, I guess I was going to say we as a culture, but I don't know that they're that culturally popular. The people who really get into these, I think really get into them. And Mm -hmm. my big picture question for you, Pete, is why? What is it about this particular gaming format that people find so, um, like appealing? Yeah. So both both rabbits fictional and Cicada thirty three oh one possibly fictional uh have like had the, the line around them of like, is this a recruiting tool for this for insert your favorite acronymed agency here? Um and I think that's a fun part of it. Like there is a there is a subset of the internet who thinks they are uh, a God's gift to to humanity, and B the smartest people in the room, um, and something like an ARG, uh, and and you know have obsessive tendencies. Something like an ARG, where maybe this will let you prove to everyone how much smarter you are. There will be glorious rewards at the end, and all you have to do is be the most obsessive person, uh, and you'll win. I think really really appeals to a small subset of the population, um. And, you know, it, the internet uh, emphasizes everything, so what is a small subset of the population is still 10,000 people, or whatever, making numbers up. Um, and then once they're all able to come together on message boards and all the rest of it, now you have a, a like, frothing, effective community. Um, and so in the same way that, like, every little subsection niche can become a fully formed, you know, flower in one corner of the internet. I think this is an example of that. And it happens to be tailor-made to sort of the people who were most into the internet in its earliest days. Like, nerds writ large, obsessive people writ large, people who like puzzles, uh, word clues. Um, and then on the, the more negative side, the people who want to prove how smart they are. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I think that you get you get the the obsessive puzzle solvers and then you also get the people who are like i am the smartest person in the room and i'm going to prove it to you yeah right and sometimes they're the same person but they they're not always the same person um yeah. i think there is also i think there's also another portion of the population that has the like i think at this point we're kind of looking at a triple circle venn diagram but i think there's also the people who just like to be part of something mm. so when you look at this um like the the forums and the theories and the trading information and it's it's the same thing as any other kind of fan culture um it's it's people sharing an experience and trading information and sharing theories and like i i think that we also catch those people in this as well yeah and i i think like the veneer of 
we don't know anything about this. It's all very shadowy and mysterious. Um, plays well with sort of like conspiracy-minded folks as well. Hence why everything is related to CIA, FBI, MI6, whatever. Um, where like Rabbits leans really hard into this, of course, of like there are mysterious forces beyond the ken of normal folk who are actually pulling the strings of the universe. Um, and while Rabbits explodes out to like we're literally talking about the strings of the universe and, you know, smoothing out the wrinkles in the, the multiverse or whatever. Um, in the first couple episodes before we get there, it is just your unknown, shadowy, powerful, rich people. Um, uh, and then, it, you know, it, in or the middle section, it's more sort of like maybe it's a global secretive corporation. Um, and all of that plays well into various conspiracy theories of of, you know the mysterious cabal uh, secretly running everything. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe these clues can help us uncover them or let us join them. Depending on your mindset. <laughs> yeah, you're either solving the ultimate puzzle or earning, like, untold uh, riches and prestige, or both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... I wanted to talk, well, actually, you brought this up before we started recording. Um, yeah, I, I think that the niche community for ARGs tends to be very intense and very focused, but I think it is also worth pointing out that there are, like, ARG light experiences that kind of capture the imagination of a much wider audience. Mm -hmm. Because I, I do think that a part of this is also a fantasy element that we can experience in our real world and like video games and fiction and movies and all of that are, are often um, attractive because of the escapism that they offer. And an ARG is sort of the ultimate form of escape. Right. Which is why I'm still playing Pokemon go like five <laughs> years later. <laughs> um, and I did bring up Pokemon go and, and I do want to talk about that, but like this goes back even, and we we're talking about how it's often a marketing thing. Back when the Dark Knight was coming out, uh, my my younger brother Mark, fan friend of the show, been on a few episodes, was like, there was like an online and like an online ARG of like hunting down all this Joker related stuff, uh, and at the end there was like a, you know, a time and a place, and there was a like a Batman related happening somewhere in Chicago, and like he got fake Gotham newspapers out of it and, and stuff. Uh, so like all fun promotional stuff, but you know, that was what 2008 call it, call it 2007 when all this was sort of ramping up. Um, and yeah, like a kid in high school with access to the internet could like, and who happened to live in the Chicagoland area could absolutely be part of this larger, broader sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. but, but Pokemon go then is sort of like the, the, the final end all be all where like an elementary kid with a phone can now walk around the neighborhood and, like, immerse themselves in Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've wanted to live inside Pokemon since I was 12, so. <laughs> and, and like, yeah, Pokemon Go is sort of the closest you can get there. And it has, you know, obviously there are the, the negative stories about, like, you know, Pokestops at the Holocaust Museum or whatever, but writ I, I large. Like, I was going to say, I don't feel like we've gotten so much of that recently right i feel like that's because pokemon go is just not in the news to the same extent right <laughs> um it's not news that we're still playing <laughs> right right because there's not like hundreds of people converging on the holocaust museum to go do a thing um but uh like it it, it is a really in it was so fascinating back the summer when that came out to like, I, I would walk around and play it, and then I would, like, be sitting on a patio, and I'd watch people walking around with their heads, like, like just staring at their phone screen, and I'm like, I'm aware that you're right next to a gym, so I know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> uh, and, like, I got called out by someone I knew who saw me walking down the street, and, and he was like, hey, you're playing Pokemon Go, aren't you? I'm like, I am. <laughs> the, first, the first day it dropped... Bill and I downloaded it on, on our phones, and then we went outside, and there were like roving groups of people out in like twos, threes, fours. And we were all like walking around. Cause it was the first day. 
Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that we, it was when catching a Pidgey was still exciting. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But it was really cool to see all of these other people clearly engaged in the same thing that we were doing. And like having that, that very first time experience. Mm-hmm. Which, which, so, we, yeah, I, which... I, I, I Oh, sorry. I was like, that's that's in a way related to what we were talking about a bit ago of like part of what makes ARGs attractive is the community and like and the mm-hmm. sense of like we're all working on this thing together, sharing tips, clues, looking at each other, look at our phones, catching pidgeys. Um, you know, it, it plays out in different ways. But like that, that sense of connectivity and connectedness, I think, is is a, a part of what makes it different than simply doing the crossword puzzle at home. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, anything and, else we want to? Yeah, I was, I was about to ask you the same thing. So seems like a pretty good button end point for this. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Join us in two weeks when we are going to be talking about rape revenge movies. Uh, Martha, what are our homeworks? And we got three of them for this uh, this episode. We do. It's a pretty heavy one, but I I trust that our listeners will come along for this ride with us. Uh, We are going to be covering uh, the 1972 The Last House on the Left, uh, written and directed by Wes Craven. Uh, 2017's Revenge, written and directed by Coralie Fargiet. And 2020's Promising Young Woman, written and directed by Emerald Fennell. I did not realize all three of these were written and directed by the, um, you know, have the same writer-director. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. That is interesting. And I think something we should talk about. Yes, uh, agreed. <laughs> um, meanwhile, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at DYDYH Podcast, And you can find us on Facebook by facebook searching did you do your homework podcast you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com you can find us on any of the app or any of the podcatchers out there please rate and review us that's how the algorithm gremlins uh, move us up higher in the algorithm rankings i know how that works clearly uh (laughs) you can find me on twitter at pico 3000 that's p-i-k-o 3000 where i'm talking politics and pop culture uh martha how about you uh, you can find me on all the social medias at Magical Martha. Cool. Uh, and what about your other podcast? Uh, I do another show that releases on alternating Wednesdays from this one on the same feed, so you don't even have to subscribe to two shows, called Love Ya, where Pete's wife Marin and I watch a rom-com or a teen movie and dissect it in detail. Our last episode was about the Bellathorn vehicle Midnight Sun, and our next episode is a Netflix original called It's not If the Shoe Fits, I just want to call it that. Um, is it called Wear It? <laughs> it is called A Perfect Fit. Mm. All right, cool. Uh, well, that's all we have for you this week. We will talk to you in two weeks when we're diving headfirst into rape revenge movies. Uh, and until then, class dismissed. Fantastic. Cool.